Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah. Getting it every day, I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yeah. I'm getting it every day, these niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not What's up, guys? This is Jake. Another episode of the Capital Gains Podcast, number 84, if I'm not mistaken. I got a good guest for you guys, especially for what has happened in the last seven days. It's been uh it's been a week, I'm sure, especially for, for this guy right here. Um it has been a week for the interest rates, a week for the real estate market, and a week for the for the uh, financial markets as a whole. It's been uh it's been rough or or not, depending on which side you're on. So uh pleasure to have you on here. And I don't want to butcher your last name, but uh pleasure to have Dell Sider on here to Perfect. Perfect. There we go. To, to talk mortgages, interest rates, real estate, and uh, and what have you. And uh, so, Dell is a is a loan officer and mortgage originator originator. So, uh, looking forward to to hearing what he has to say. Hey guys, my name is Dell Sider. I'm with Guardian Team Twelve Mortgage. Uh, I like to go by uh, a little handle I put together for myself. I'm refer to myself as the mortgage veteran. I've been doing this since 1995, and to Jake's point, the past week, actually since Friday last week, has been brutal. We've seen rates jump based on market data, the Fed's movement of the the short-term rate and and things associated with the the overall economy and inflation from the high fours, low fives, to we, we are comfortably now in the sixes on rates, and it happened in about a three and a half day period largest market jump I think I've ever seen in my career. Yep. And so what, uh, and what, what do you see that drove that? Was it the, was it the inflation data? Was it the, the fed raising the rates or what, like for the, for the people listening who may not know exactly why that happened, what was, what pushed them to go so high so fast? Well, it's, it's adjusted out, uh, based on, you know, market data and how people read it. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of this stuff is kind of like reading tea leaves. It depends on who looks at it and what they see. So the markets were already uneasy about the inflation we're all experiencing and whether or not it's eight and a half or whether it's closer to 14 when you factor in food and fuel. But there's a bunch of people out there that have different views on that. Whenever the Fed came in and jumped out this 75 point basis, uh, 75 basis points jump in, in the interest rate, on the Fed rate, it it almost spooked the market because it made them really believe that this inflation thing is much more serious, which we all know it's serious out here because we're doing this every day. You're buying your fuel, you're buying your groceries, and you're buying your materials to do your your flips and remodels and things that you're doing too. I mean, uh, I think it just confirmed that that it's 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 here and it's going to be here for a while, and that was a big move on their part. So the markets adjusted and it uh, it shook them pretty hard, and uh, so they raise rates in order to adjust for what the bond call is. So it, it's a big deal. Yeah. And what, uh, what exactly, because I, I know that the, the federal, the fed funds rate, the short term rate doesn't directly affect or directly correlate to the mortgage rates. Um, but rather the 10 year treasury yield, uh, correlates a lot more. So why is that? And, um, and, and and also, how does the Fed funds rate correlate to mortgage rates and any any interest rates for that matter? 
a Fed funds rate just kind of provides a market stability and, a, and a, I, I think, in my opinion, it just kind of gives a, a lay of the land on, you know, where everybody thinks the, the U.S. economy is. You know, when we're, we're seeing a lot of a lot of downturns. We've seen the, the stock market fall thousands of points in the last few days. Uh, you know, in, in the NASDAQ and, and the S&P have fallen dramatically, too. I mean, we're, we're arguably in a full-on bear territory, and um, it, it's, it's going to be a rough ride. When you typically have these situations, you have, you know, a flight to security and people want to get into bonds. You have the Fed rolling their bond sheet off. So they, they, they were buying bonds whenever we went through the mortgage debacle and do uh, QM and quantitative easing and all the other things we've seen uh, adjusted in our markets and changes. And that, that, that quantitative easing uh, led to this inflationary period. And, and, you know, it's just like nobody took their foot off the gas at the right time. That's a, it's kind of an interesting balance. But you typically see a flight to, to bonds whenever the, the markets are unstable. And we've not seen that. You can see some of the data that I had this morning. I mean, we're already back another 27 basis points uh, negative for the day of pricing, which will keep our prices high on the interest rate whenever we're dropping down in those negative term, you know, uh, returns on those bonds. Yep. So what uh so what when you when you get in the office in the morning and you're like, okay, what are we looking at today? Where do you go to and what are you looking at to and besides the besides like like let's say uh, somebody who doesn't have access to your data, what can they go look at to find out what the mortgage rates are doing that day? Or well, that I mean day? you can you could do a couple of things. Like you, you can go out and hit some websites uh, for lenders, they'll drop out some data for you. But a lot of times that's just going to be generalized data based on the highest FICO score and the overall best terms, you know, trying to get that, that information. I'll run out, start my morning, you know, in the local news, but then I'll run out and look at, you know, what's going on uh, in finance through Yahoo Finance, through Bloomberg and some other stuff like that. I'll watch pre-market trading before the market's actually open around 830 our time. But then I use a system called, mortgage, you know, the MBS Highway. I think the ideal thing for a lot of clients and a lot of realtors is have a have a professional, you know, me or someone else that you have a good relationship with and that you trust that you can communicate with daily. I mean, you can even have, you know, market updates as, as often as you want them, just give us a shout. But it's, it's, it's pulling that data together and trying to, like I said, it's trying to read tea leaves. Well, what happens is that market starts, you know, when, when the markets are moving and we're seeing the adjustments, the guys that run our hedging in secondary markets set our prices based on what they think the market's going to do because they're hedging hundreds of millions of dollars you know, on, on almost on a daily basis. And that's what really moves it is what, what the market's buying those for. And if, if there's no appetite to buy the bonds, rates go up. Right, right. Yeah, because the, <clears throat> the yield the yield goes up, so they're trying to entice you to buy it. Exactly. Um, that makes complete sense to me. Um, and so as far as, as far as practical terms, and this is, this is kind of crazy in my head, as far as practical terms, let's say somebody wants to come in and get a loan. Somebody wants to come in and FHA or conventional 20% down, 3.5% down, 5% down, what have you. What are they going to be looking at as far as you, now compared to, let's say, February when rates were in the threes? What was the cost of waiting and what will be the outlook for, the, say, the next six months going forward? Actually, there, you know, as far as just the, the projections from secondary marketing guys, Fannie, Freddie, and all the powers that be that kind of are involved in all this stuff, they're projecting we'll see mid-sevens, mid-sevens to eights 
uh, in the very near future. What we were looking at initially before uh, the Fed changed the, the Fed, you know, when they hit that Fed rate at 75 basis points, and the market talked about it, but it wasn't sure they were going to do it. But prior to that, you know, we were getting projections that we'd be in the mid sixes and sevens by February next year. We're here. I mean, it hit six months earlier than anticipated. You know, and, and it's all clear indicators that we're moving into a heavy into, into what's going to be a fairly sizable recession. I don't think that we can actually get around it. And uh, so I, I think that, you know, the cost of waiting, you mentioned that a while ago, we've got a model for some software that I pay for that we run typically for a lot of people that are trying to wait and hoping the market's going to improve. You know, when you look at uh, what you're doing, what are you seeing for actual inventory on the ground? I'm not seeing inventory get any you know, any more liquid. We still have a very tight market for inventory, which regardless of rates is still going to bring buyers to the table. But that so, impact on that payment could be three to $500 based on just the interest rate change. Yep. And, and this is, this has been my issue the whole time. Um, and it's really just made it more painful to buy, but people still need to buy. And so it's like, there's, there hasn't been as much, uh, coming to market still. Um, and one of the main reasons is, is, is really like if you sell now, which is probably one of the best times to sell, where do you go? Number one, number two, you're going to get a six to 7% rate coming from probably a three to 4% rate. And now your mortgage, no matter what you're doing is jumping. So it's, it's a really tough. And, and I think what's going to happen is I think a lot of the activity, a lot of the sales, a lot of the, just everything is going to just kind of come to a halt. Um, not necessarily a huge influx of inventory, not necessarily a huge, um, demand. It's just, I think it's just going to come, you know, and, and, and be a, a big stop sign for the real estate, uh, uh, market. And really just because it's, it's kind of like, these prices, there's nothing there. So people are going to have to either pay it or wait. And, uh, and, and everything I've seen still just, just comes on and goes right back. If it's priced right, I should say if it's priced, right. Comes on, goes right back off. Like it's, it's right. No, no. And I think you're right there on the zone because you know, first price, right. is a big deal because everybody wants to want a million dollars for what they have. And, and sometimes it's just not, it's not a tangible, uh, price or opportunity there, but, when you talk about the things that you just covered, it's going to be a domino effect. I don't think it's the end of the world. And I will tell you, everybody that keeps wanting to wait, hoping we're going to go back to, you know, prices five years ago, I, I don't see that happening. And none of the software or people that I, you know, the services I pay for uh, support that, that we're going to see prices fall 40% or anything crazy like that. It's not going to happen. You know, at least, at least not in, in our markets here in Texas, we're growing by 1,500 people a day. You know, you, you so you, we've got a steady growth. I think the, the biggest deal that we can do with our, our borrowers and our, our just our clients and our friends is tell them if you find a house you really like and you want it in today's market, buy the house. We can always refinance when rates stabilize, but I don't think that we're going to see a loss in value. If you go back to Brazos County 20, uh, 2008 and 2010 during the mortgage debacle and, and all the meltdown that happened, when everything went, went just went south, Florida was losing money. They all lost, they all lost tremendous value. What we saw here locally, especially in Brazos County, we saw rate, uh, we, we saw values go flat, but we didn't really lose 
any value at all. There were some there were some courthouse debts for foreclosures and stuff like that, but that was all due to the meltdown. The economy was falling apart at the time and stuff like that. This is different because it's not it's not a property issue, uh, except property scarcity is is the issue. And you know, if you talk to anybody around town, they're probably three to five years before they can catch up with demand. So I don't think that we're going to see waiting is not going to give you, I think, a better house price. You might try to wait it out, hoping for a better interest rate. But if you end up having, you know, wait a period of time and you have to pay twenty five thousand dollars more for the house and an interest rate, well, it's, it's a little complicated down the road. You know, whereas you get the price, you, you know, you get the house you want for the price you want. And then you go ahead and, and hope that rates stabilize and you can refinance at a later date. Yep. Yep. I think. Uh... <laughs> especially being priced right and especially and that, that's why I mentioned being priced right because there's a lot of price drops I've, been, I've seen but uh, it's mainly in the things that have just been grossly overpriced because this market has been so hot and especially let, let's say in the the Dallas Fort Worth area that market is is obscene, obscenely hot and every single house was going 10 to 15 percent over asking every time like without, without fail, if it, if it was a good house. Right. And, and now, you know, the realtors that really just are, Oh, it's going to sell for that. So they list it for 10, 50% over what it should be. Now they're going to have to come back down to, to par right where it should be. And then it'll sell. And so really, I think it's a, it, it should be a return to normalcy. Now, if, if we, if we touch crazy rates, super, super high and the economy just melts down, that's a different story, obviously. But, you know, I, I think with the market it has been the last two years, it, it definitely was not sustainable at all. Um, just with the, the crunch we had and then the, the, the price appreciation wasn't sustainable at all either. I mean, you just can't, you can't go 20% year over year in real estate and stay that way. Oh, we're not, we're not, we're not California. Texas is, is not going to, we shouldn't be able to see that because it, you, you do run into a sustainability issue on whether or not you can maintain it. But if you look at like one of the models that I use is, is it shows uh, market data and, and it's a real estate report card. You guys get a version of it, but I pull on through a different source and our static property value growth over the past 65 years is 3.4% consistently. Yep. And that's more of a normalized market. Three to five percent is a normalized market. You have pocketed markets here in town like Southgate and Eastgate that are a little outside that norm because of where they are and how sought after they are. And then over the, you know, historically over the last, you know, a 10-year period and a five-year period, that 10-year period, we've seen a 4.8% growth in value. Projected and forecasted for the next year is about 7%, 7.3%. And over the next five years, they're projecting a 23.7% growth in value. That goes back to that consistent rolling, you know, something that's more, you know, more sustainable over a period of time. Right. And, and, and so uh, that's my point when we start talking about projected growth. Even if you come down off of that 23 and uh, we cut it back to 15%, 15% growth in value while you're waiting on interest rates to come down is still a loss for, for the buyer. It's a win for the for for you as a property owner, because you, you just can have more profit to roll out and roll into your next transaction. And I think that's, it's uh, it's sort of like stocks. Um, and everybody tells you to don't time the market, get time in the market, right? Like you want to be buying and, and granted, I guess it's, it's a, a little bit more situational because there's a lot of different factors in real estate, but you know, it's, 
if you just if you have let's say you have a 20 year horizon which you probably should if you are under the age of 40 right if you're under the age of 40 maybe even 50 you're probably looking at 20 years before you really have to do anything with your house and so is the price 20 years from now going to be more than today almost 100 yes like there's you know so um i don't i just don't know what uh you know, unless you're flipping like me, who has to worry about it, or unless you're just speculating, hey, I'm going to buy this house full price and it's going to be worth 20% more next year without anything else done to it. Well, now you're speculating, you're, 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 you, sh you should probably deserve to lose money, right? So I think it's just, uh, it's a dichotomy that, that, uh, and people get really, really emotional. And I think that's been my thing this past week is, okay, let's roll down to the facts. What is, what does our inventory look like? What does our demand look like? What do the rates look like? And how is that going to affect us? Right. So it uh, it's interesting. And I think with you mentioned California and I, I was talking to a couple of my buddies this past week and maybe you would know. But I've heard a lot of talk and this is it's mainly just rumor, but I've heard talk of, of 35 and 40 year mortgages. And uh, have you heard anything like that or or? Yeah, you know, as long as I've been in the industry, they've been talking about trying to go to a four-year mortgage. But there's a lot of people that don't want to do that because they feel it puts the low to moderate income borrowers and stuff like that in a position where, you know, they're tied to something for 40 years of their lifetime. And, and statistically, the only reason you'd go to a mortgage like that is for a lower principal interest on your payment because the vast majority of people, when you spoke having a 20-year timeline or horizon, if you're talking about 20 years of investing, maybe but the average buyers in a home five to seven years during the, during the mortgage meltdown, that, that number moved to like seven to nine years because of people lost value, you know, with, with the lost value people saw in other states, Nevada and stuff like that. So they stayed longer, but statistically it's, you know, it's in that five year, five to seven year sweet spot. And, and the reason being is, you know, Jay gets married and has 10 kids. You, you need more yeah, space. Yeah, <laughs> So, so you're moving up and moving down based on uh, the needs. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 59 years old. I downsized from a large house that I built to a smaller house. And if my life changes or things go on, so that uh, you know, my wife and I have a, the ability to travel and do some things a little differently. So that that five to seven year sweet spot is based on families, marriages, divorces, aging out, changing locations. There's a lot of state. There's a lot of data that goes into that. So people get wrapped up into, I have to have this exact interest rate. What are you really looking for? And as long as your growth in value is there year over year, even if it's a small steady growth, it's compounding. So as that, as that grows, you know, you've got a chance to roll that money out. And even if you are on a shorter, on a shorter horizon, you know, to quote you, you're, you're still in a position where you can walk away with something you can't when you rent. So even, right. even if you're struggling with that, you still have to, you know, it's a, it's a very personal timeline. When you mentioned a while ago how emotional people are, the, the vast majority of the time, I, I kind of liken myself to a fireman. I'm supposed to be the cool head in the room and try to be able to manage what's going on because I'm not going to be emotional. I'm going to give you facts, good or bad, and you may not like what I have to say, but I'm going to tell you the truth and, and, and the factual matter of what we're doing as I know it right then. And it, it, it makes some people happy and some people not so much. Now you've got people that were qualified with just rising rates over the past few days that may wash out on their purchases. You know, new bills and stuff like that, four or five months out. You got people that were 
qualified at the top of their buying range, that, 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 may, that may change altogether. That could change some of the inventory stuff that you were talking about earlier too. Yep. That's one thing that I have seen. And, and, uh, and this, this is one thing that I, that, that I think the supply chain has screwed up bad is the new construction. Um, because those builders are building all brand new and everything is super, super inflated as far as cost wise. Mm -hmm. And so they have to charge that high price to make their margin. And the one thing that I have seen recently, and granted, I've still seen some that going to contract and, and, and selling, but one thing that I have seen recently is builders starting to lower their price. What I saw a year ago was builders increasing their price because costs were going up and interest rates were still in the threes, right? Three to three and a half. Um, now what I have seen slowly and, and not a bunch, but slowly is builders, especially upper, like probably in the four to 500 range, just take it down just a little bit, um, and give, give realtors incentives and stuff like that to bring buyers because they're trying to get ahead of the maybe supposed, uh, correction. So it, it's going to be interesting, especially being a builder. Uh, and granted, I'm not a builder, but I'm sort of like a builder. Um, you know, so I think I'm a, a little bit better positioned than them, but you know, maybe not. Who knows? Well, though, the, when you start seeing the, the larger builders and you start seeing behavior like that, it could be a multitude of things. It's kind of like being a listing agent. You know, you can promise your guy that you can get him fifty thousand dollars more than anyone else on the block and list a house that high. If that's not true, and if that's just something you said to try to get the listing, or something you said earnestly, but but you know the market just didn't turn out that way if you over list and have to and have to lower that price that's that's a market it, it, it kind of the market starts to perceive that hey things are changing sometimes it's because it was listed too high and they're coming back down to what market demand is and sometimes it is because maybe the, that builder has 12 specs on the ground and he's concerned about inflation about to continue rise rates and washouts so he's willing to cut some deals to try to get that inventory down and lower their exposure and you start talking about larger home builders, some of the big track builders, you know, where they suddenly they, they started 30 or 40 specs. If the, if the appetite for buying drops, they have a problem. I tell you where I see the biggest push and the biggest complication for buyers is that under 300, under 350 category, it's still hot because there's so few homes in that price range and everybody's trying to get something. So we're seeing, you know, it, it, it kind of fluctuates in between there. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting, and and, and one of the, the big things under you said under three hundred here and in Brenham, um, which are two of the markets that I, I service the most, it is it is just insane how number one little there is, and number two what what's been happening with really small properties, let's say a thousand square foot, eleven hundred square foot, twelve hundred square foot, that traditionally probably are worth one eighty. 200 maybe that's I mean that's almost turned dollars per foot that's pretty high well now because there's just nothing in that sub 250 range that you're listing the 1100 square foot house for 250 and it's selling because there is just nothing out there and people need a place uh, so they need a place they want to buy a house and it's appraising because everything else is a is selling at that Absolutely. So it's it's pulling up the values of those smaller houses, and uh, and then subsequently pushing up the values of those middle houses to mid three hundreds up top four hundreds, 
And now, like, and this is this sort of sucks for the new for the new home buyer because there's not very many people who can afford a first time home at three hundred thousand. But yeah. I told my investor the date three hundred thousand is is the new two hundred thousand, right? Like three years ago, two hundred thousand was the first time home, like that was pretty standard. And now everything I'm seeing here, it's it's going to be two fifty three hundred. Well, and that's where you're going to run into some of the issues too, because what you're talking about that first-time home buyer not being able to afford that uh, a three hundred thousand dollar or three hundred fifty thousand dollar house even two years ago, right? That first-time home buyer now is trying to buy a three hundred thousand dollar house instead of instead of sub four interest rates. Now you're talking about over six. That that changes the buying power dramatically across the board. You know, one of the one of the things that we do is we use we use a multitude of different loan products, and each one has a very unique thing that they do. Conventional allows you to drop the mortgage insurance after you have, you know, 20% equity. FHA is for the life of the loan, but it'll allow for lower credit scores and it'll also allow for a higher debt to income ratio. So based on the borrower's needs, expectations, and where they're at in their unique situation, you're picking a loan product. Here's what's been crazy with these mortgage interest rate rises recently. There's Almost, especially on the, the lower tier credit score, there's almost no par rate on an FHA, VA, or USDA loan. USDA is 100% financing for a civilian. Uh, FHA is, it, it's, it's, you know, everybody thinks it's a first-time homebuyer program. It's not. Anyone can use it. You just can't have multiples unless there's some unique circumstances there. And then you've got VA. Each of those, the coupon, those bonds that we talked about, those coupons haven't been opened up enough to where there's really close, close to par pricing for those lower tier credit scores. So now their interest rates higher, their buying capacity has dropped, and they're having to come up with more cash to get an interest rate. It, it's it's a complicated thing that everyone's trying to get worked out. And as of yesterday, that markets closed. I saw that for a, a mediocre credit score, we had a par rate for the first time in four days on FHA. Par means your buyer doesn't have to pay to get that interest rate. And the company's not losing any money. So you're looking for that balance in there. Mm, gotcha. Understood. Understood. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's going to hurt the hurt, hurt those buyers tremendously. And it's, you know, me and my, my uncle and, and me and my other investor have been talking about it because they're, they're super, they're super caught up on macroeconomics. And it's, it's, you know, a lot of the, what I've been seeing and hearing is, you know, the people from, from three to four, maybe even five are going to, are going to get hurt the worst people from five to eight, they'll be okay. And anybody above that isn't, isn't going to get touched mainly because, you know, the, the income is, is exponential as you, as you, as you grow. And, uh, but there's a huge amount that are just making 50, 60, 70, maybe. And, uh, they can only afford 200, $250,000 and that's yeah. it. There's no flexibility of room at all. Well, yeah. the complication that you're running into for that, you know, when you look at builders and flippers and doing a lot of things in the investors that you're doing is you're running into a situation where just the dirt itself makes it complicated to build a house under $300,000, even under two fifty, You just can't find the dirt for the value. And by the time you put the infrastructure in to, to develop something like that, you, you know, cost is cost. Yep. That's, 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 that's a tough one. And, uh, and that's, that's been a main driver of, of my, uh, I guess, prediction or, or, or thoughts of why that's one of the reasons why I don't think prices will, will really drop dramatically. I think it, it'll, if anything, it'll just stop and stay there. I, I just don't know. 
I agree. I just I just don't know if it'll drop. Um, and it definitely could. I think in some speculation, speculating areas and some hard areas that just aren't worth at all, they could drop because nobody nobody wants it anyway. Um, but I, you know, it's you know the replacement cost is just going up and up and up and up. And so if that is if that's built at two hundred dollars a square foot cost, and it's going to cost me one hundred sixty to 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 rebuild this, even though I bought it for one twenty. Well, I mean that the price is gonna is gonna follow that, so um, it's it's just tough. I don't know. It's it's gonna be an interesting thing. And what uh, what do you think? And and maybe it's a policy, maybe it's market conditions. What do you think we could see in the future to alleviate some of the rate problems or or inventory problems? Um, what do you see on the mortgage side that that could help? maybe balance this out As on, the, on the mortgage side it really it's going to come down to that it's still going to go back to that scarcity that you're talking about and, and the, the cost associated with building because when you start once we have an opportunity where inventory exceeds demand you'll see you'll see things change price-wise on properties and on mortgages it's going to depend on what the economy is you know the, like i said the, the the Fed was was buying all of the mortgage bonds or the bulk of them for a very long time. They have they have hundreds of millions, trillions of dollars on their on their books, and they're running those off right now. So every single month they're selling those off. They want to get them wiped off the books and, and get them off, you know out of the you know out of the pocket, so so to speak. So as they continue to do that, so as the, the market's flooded with bonds, and, and like I said, people are buying less of them, and if they're buying less. That means we're having to discount that and sell them out. That and, and the lower the yield on that, the higher the interest rate. So when that yield is going up and everything else, those those, those are those are balancing back and forth until we can find an appetite in the market for those, or the Fed opens the window and starts buying again. You're going to see rates high, but they want them high. They in in uh, some people think that that balancing the budget that having uh, less restrictions and, and, and opening up the market is, is a way to provide a better market, lower inflation and, and, and a better economy overall for, for Americans. That's kind of one camp. And the other camp feels like, hey, we can tax it, we can, we can beat it, we can take it down and then adjust that inflation mark by what you're doing is literally cooling the economy off. That, that's, a dangerous, that's a dangerous balance and we're, and we're fixing to experience that right now. That's exactly their goal is to try to, cool that economy instead of trying to adjust the actual appetite and, and how we get paid for it. If they if they misstep here and and bonds further withdraw, each time, each time those yields drop and, and then the the people are less apt to buy based on their concern over the strength of the US dollar and our economy as a whole. And a lot of foreign investors are buying those bonds. So once that starts cooling off, you're going to continue to see rates go. That's what you're seeing now. Yeah. I, and and what uh what do you think I would assume, you know, with rates being so high, I would assume, and, and this could be an opportunity to talk about the secondary market, um, I would assume that the investors in the secondary market are going to, are getting much better yields on their investments, you know, as far, as far as opposed to, let's say three years ago. Is that right or, or is it, is it not, not work that way? It's not really working that way right now. Everything's, everything's a little bit out of kilter. Where the, for the company, take our company, for example, we have we got a banking model. We actually service most of the loans that we originate and we originate loans. 
So we have more than one revenue stream, gives us the ability to kind of balance our rates. On any given day, rates are moving based on our secondary marketing guys adjusting to what's coming at them at that moment. Because they're hedging out based on, you know, 30, 45, 60 days on closings. And then we've got the construction money that's out there a little bit longer. So they're adjusting out each time based on what's coming at them. And it, it's, it's, it's not producing the investment revenue because everybody's balanced out. Everybody's leaning back and hanging on their cash right now trying to figure out where the economy's going. Yep. Yep. Understood. Understood. I mean, it's just, it, it really is. It comes down to supply and demand at some point, you know, as, as, as simple as it is, it's, it really is supply and demand. Like if, if everybody was, was not buying the gas, the gas would come down a little bit. And uh, if everybody was not buying the houses, the houses would come down a little bit, you know? So, yeah. you know, it, at that point, it, that's exactly what they're trying to do, you know, and that's uh, exactly what they're doing. Their goal is to slow the, the appetite as a whole or make it so painful that you you have to slow that appetite. So it'll cool off the economy. The, the, the balance there is if they push it too hard, too fast and they cool it off too, too much, we'll go into a deeper recession. And you got a lot of people that argue that that's going to be beneficial. You know, if we go in real hard, we'll come out real fast. This is a different economy. This is everything we're seeing right now as a country is, is very unique to the, the the time and place we are right now. Well, and I think I saw that we have never seen the Fed raise rates and reduce liquidity at the same time. Is that right? No. Yeah, this is one of the few times ever that that's ever happened. And and again, so so they're playing with a whole different model. They're, you know, we're playing a whole different game this time, trying to figure out what's going to be the best balance to make it right. And it was kind of funny. I went to a, uh, it was some land development meeting with a bunch of realtors at the Relis campus. And there was, we were talking to some economics guy from A&M. Um, he was ag, ag economics major or PhD rather. And uh, it was kind of funny because he was talking about how that was the case and how really he had no clue what was going to happen. And he was like seven years old. He's seen a lot of, he's seen a lot of, of stuff in his, in his day. And he was like, man, if I was really, if I was telling you, I'd be lying to you because I'm just guessing just like you. And, uh, which is, which is scary to people who don't, don't really understand what they're doing or, or, or in the dark, you know, who don't understand this stuff. And so, you know, you just got to roll with the punches and, and, and make the, the correct decisions for yourself. Well, one of the things when he said, when he told you, no, nobody's sure, again, like I said, we're playing a, we're playing a game we've not played before with the economy where it's at, the balance in world, you know, world politics and everything. The, the impact is, is, is everything impacts everything now. You know, when we went to a more global money system, a, a global world, it, it, everything happening impacts everybody in the game. Whenever we look at that and trying to forecast what's going on. So what I'm telling my people is this, if you find the house you want, buy it. If we, if you qualify, buy it now. If things settle and stabilize over time, we'll refinance the loan. If not, you still have a house and you're still going to continue to grow in value over a period of time, even if it's more painful or you have to buy a little less house. But getting wrapped up in trying to find the best rate and, and, and the lowest purchase price, well, those, those are just, that's not the world we live in right now. There's a chance, just like you said earlier in the conversation, that that it could, you know, we could end up with a stalemate. You could end up, ha you know, having to reduce prices, having a little more inventory on the ground, and that inventory could be a domino effect. You look at the inventory. If suddenly, if suddenly people wash out of builder opportunities and there's builder homes on the market, if we have fewer buyers, they're going to have to adjust that price up. So you can have some of that, but I, I don't think that's going to be dramatic just because of the scarcity 
of inventory on the ground. You know, to your point just a while ago, we don't know where that balance is right now. We just know that there's not enough inventory to set aside the appetite. If rates hit a point where people just lean back and go, I'm not doing it, well, then you got a whole cool off that you got to figure out how to adjust to. And that that's a, a different market than any of us have been in. And right. uh, so we're, we're literally, because you think about that, if rates go to a point where it cools off, but there's still no inventory, do we still have buyers? You mentioned a while ago, people over five to $600,000. When you start getting to above that category, a lot of those people have jobs that are stable um, or, or have built portfolios that are capable. Those people are going to buy whenever they find the deal they want, regardless of what interest rates or markets are, because they understand what, you know, the, the long term impact of their purchases and they have goals. Those those five year, 10 year, 15 or 20 year goals you were talking about and timeline horizons on, on what their expectations are. The people that are just trying to put the first roof over their family's head because they're tired of living in an apartment complex or whatever the case is. That's a whole different ballgame because we're budgeting down to the, the you know, the final ten dollars. You know, we're just trying to make sure that they're truly qualified and in their debt to income ratio. Right. And I think I did the math the other day on uh, it was it was on a, a loan that um, an investor of mine did. And and la like, let's say it was it was the purchase price is two hundred seventy five thousand. Uh, in January, I think one of my other clients got locked in at 2875 and he closed in March at 2875. So I just quote, I used a three for number's sake. The 20% down on that calculation? That was uh, FHA. Okay. Um, and this next one is also an FHA. So um, they ended up getting 4.6, but I was, because uh, they, they locked it in, I don't know, 45 days ago or 30 days ago, something like that. Um, but I, I did it with six six uh, 6% interest rates. The difference in a $275,000 loan at 3% interest, the difference was like $475 a month. I'm actually running that calculation manually for you. Hang on a second. And you said, what was the interest rate? You, you, ran, it, you ran the second one at 6%? Uh, we're at three was the first one and six was the second one, yep. So what I, I used the same, I, I used the, the, the 2.875 you used a while ago, and I used the 275 purchase price just now, less three and a half percent for FHA, you know, for your down payment. Principal interest on that at 2.875 is running about 1101 a month. And I'm, I'm going to run that other calculation now. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fairly uh, substantial change. I bet it's almost four hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean it's fifteen ninety one. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, that's a substantial change in payment. That's why I was talking about the washout for people that were on the hook. And you look at some of the new builds that are, you know, three fifty, and they're going out there right now. You you got those people that may have been qualified at that price range, but you add four or five hundred dollars to their house payment, done. Yep. You know you're looking at you know, and there's alternatives. You know, in some cases we're trying to shift some. But, you know, we had some people that were putting more money down going conventional. So what we're doing in some cases is we'll take and sit down with them. They can take some of that money that they were going to use for the larger down payment going conventional to pay off a debt, roll them into FHA with the notion that we'll roll them out at some point. FHA's mortgage insurance is for the life of the loan, but the interest rates on FHA right now are more attractive than conventional. And we see that when we get these unstable markets. Right. Yeah. What, uh, what, what rates are you looking at right now with FHA? Uh, yesterday's rate, this morning's are not up, but uh, close of business yesterday, five and three quarter. 
was the closest thing to par. Solid credit that, that was at par with really poor credit that was costing about because they 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 based on FICO scores, the lower you go, the higher risk you are on a, on an algorithm. So the lower yeah. scores would probably cost about fifteen hundred dollars to get five and three quarter for us yesterday on FHA. Gotcha. Which which really, to be honest with you, is not that bad. Um, it's a lot worse than three, but five and three quarter is is not bad. I mean, historically, you look at if you look at interest rates historically, that's still fairly low that's pretty uh, even even six and a half is fairly low if you look historically you go to go over the life of of who we've been but where people get wrapped up in that is they're, they're worried about that because it's a large purchase but but they're you got you got people paying you know seventy thousand dollars for vehicles now and depending on your credit score that could run you you know 3.9 to who knows what i mean on on car you know car interest rate i i just i just got one i've got great credit my interest rate was three percent. Yeah, you know, on my own vehicle with with eight hundred FICO scores, so that's a big deal in that change. And um, but when you look at people's credit cards, you know, you have eighteen eighteen point nine percent, whatever the case is on on any credit card that you carry a balance on. When you've got that and you're starting to measure those against the house, <clears throat> what I would tell you is if you can manage your finances and have fewer debts on those credit cards and other things, you'd have more money to put towards trying to buy that house, having a lower debt to income ratio on something that's actually going to build equity and not just be a negative takeaway on your budget on a monthly basis. Right. So this is one thing that I've been hearing and it, it may be a rumor. It may be something looming on the, on the, on the horizon. Um, and you probably see it every day with uh, going over applications and seeing people's finances. I'm hearing um, talk of a consumer credit bubble quote unquote, where a lot of people just have a bunch of like buy now, pay later um, things financed, like consumable goods that were that were financed with buy now, pay later, like let's say pay 0% interest over 18 months. Well, now you do that on every single payment. Well, now you have $15,000 in debt and now you have a big payment and now your payment plus your car payment, plus your rent, plus utilities, plus your gas prices. I mean, you know, it's it's going to get tough. Yeah. And, you know, to that point that we're just recently talking about during the pandemic. Savings for the average American rose because they couldn't go out, they couldn't go spend money. They were getting uh, the child tax credits. They were getting the Biden bucks. They were getting uh, PPP loans for, for those who were self-employed. So their savings rose this inflationary period and what's happened in just this short period of time since the administration began to make different changes that they thought were fit. We've now, our savings level has been wiped out to pre-pandemic levels. So it's extreme, very few savings anymore. It's their pre-pandemic, which is, is you know, much lower than what they had during that period of time. And their debt has risen. And so whenever you start looking at that, people, they'll take on all these, you know, buy now, pay later opportunities that you're talking about. With no notion, you know, I'm going to have it, I'm going to have it, I'm going to have it. Well, suddenly the economy changed and you don't have it. In fact, I talked to a friend last night, you know, and he had a, a fairly decent size 401k. I mean, he's down $20,000 in his 401k. It's, it's imaginary money if you sell it, but there's a lot of people that are drawing interest off of that. you got the elders, you know, a lot of retirees that are drawing those things. Their incomes change. So you're, you're, the impact here is going to be, it's a, it's a big domino effect that we're going to see credit income pricing all of it's going to push you know against each other to 
to a different place. We're, and like I said, we're just not familiar with where we're at right now. And I think that's, that's as, as you get older and as I've gotten older and uh, I'm only 21, but as I've gotten older and traveled and, and just seen everything, it's you, you know, really growing up, you think the world revolves around you. And when you get around and go everywhere, it's like, this is a huge machine, like rolling all together. And so there's a really bunch is. of different things that go into a bunch of different things that go into a bunch of different things. And so you have to be, yeah, I guess just informed about what's going on because like this domino effect could hit this domino and this domino and this domino. And then the whole thing blows up. So. Well, yeah. look at this. When, when, you know, all the investing and stuff that you've been doing over, you know, watching your post, you know, throughout the year, what you've done, what you've turned over and everything else. Is that just you doing all the work? Are you driving every single nail or are you hiring subs to come in and do things that you don't do? And then you're buying products and you're having people come in and assist. You are impacting the community on everything you do. And if you suddenly stop because pricing is gone, your ability is gone, your debt's risen too high, your credit score fell, the moment you stop, how many people are impacted by your loss of, of income? Right. I mean, and, and we, we hire, we hire sort of everything out um, pretty exclusively, um, especially at the scale that we're going right now. Um, and, and really it affects a lot of things, you know, it affects, it affects realtors who, who sell, who buy, who uh, bring buyers to our stuff. It affects realtors who sell the stuff that we buy. It affects the title companies. It affects the, the, the guys that loan to us. It affects appraisers. us, obviously it affects the yeah. appraisers, it affects the inspectors, it affects, uh, especially the guys who do all the work. The yeah. GC that we use, the majority of his work is us. And so whether that's good or bad, um, a lot of his guys, like you don't think about it, but when you're paying the contractor, I mean, you're really just paying these guys, right? Yeah. Like the majority, you're, you're putting the food on their table. And so if that dries up, what are they gonna do? You know, they're paying higher prices than gas. They're paying high prices and everything and they're barely making it. Right, they're living in some shack in North Bryan because they they have to. There's no other option, and yeah. so it's you know it, it's if you think of it a little bit bigger and and, in, and especially like with my my uncle, um, he has like four thousand employees, and like I can't imagine the the stress and the and the the uh, I guess burden that he has to bear with thinking if this whole thing blows up, what like how can I live? Right. How many people are negatively impacted? That's exactly right. So it's, and you know, and when you're going to be a, a businessman and, or a woman and you're actually out there making these decisions, it, I think that the, that the more professional out there will talk, that that'll be in the, in the forethought of what they think, the impact of their decision on the people around them. Because if you're just worried about you, it's a whole different world. Uh, but trying to worry about the the, the, sheer, the sheer fact that we're just a microcosm of the big environment around us, and we do all impact a lot of people. You you mentioned something that most people don't even talk about: the impact on the title companies and their employees if we're not doing business. I mean, there are so many pieces to what we do that people miss. That you know, getting wrapped up and getting emotional in it is is where you start making mistakes. Keeping your head about you, and like I said from the very beginning of the conversation. Keeping your head about you, staying solid in business, making good business decisions keeps you working, which keeps subcontractors working, which keeps other people fed in, the, in, in the, the pool that we all swim in. Everybody's eating out of the same trough. We just have to find a way to make it. I, I, fair and equitable is a hard thing for me to say because you hear it a lot in the economy today. 
you know, if you, things need to be fair and equitable, you know, are you putting in more effort than some of the guys, you know, that's a fair question, Jake, are you doing, are you working harder trying to be successful than some of the people, you know, and, and do you think that you should have to share fair and equal with all of them that are not doing near the work or putting in near the risk and effort you are. So right. there's a balance in there too. And it's just trying to make sure that we're all working and being, you know, uh, cognizant that we impact each other's lives. Yep. 100%. I think, uh, you know, and I think that's why I kind of I don't get angry, but I, I get I get unsettled and and sort of just cold to people who are like, man, I can't wait for this real estate market to crash. I can't wait to buy everything. I can't wait to do this, do that, do that, and the other. Well, yes, I understand that when something crashes and you buy it cheap and it goes back up, you make a bunch of money, right? But I was watching the movie The Big Short the other day, and oh, yeah. I don't, I'm sure you're familiar. Well, at the very end, the two young guys are rich. They made like $90 million, and uh, the uh, the old banker is like, I, I hope you're happy because every time unemployment goes up by 1%, 40,000 people die. And uh, they were just kind of sitting there like, oh. And so they got it. You know, they got it, you know. So yeah, be careful what you wish for because if the real estate market is has crashed 40%, we are in some deep, deep crap. Like the last time we had a market downturn, the last time our economy turned down heavily, 08, 2010, we'll go back to there just for a second. Even though we were in a mortgage debacle, the rest of the country was really crippled. And one of the reasons that we didn't, that we came out of that, that hardship faster than we did was because of our industry. And if you go back and read any real historic data, the real estate industry continued to try to keep everything from falling apart. If we fell apart by 40%, the rest of the economy would be in a, a world hurt. It would be a completely different environment than you're in right this minute today. Well, that's, and that's, you know, that's, that's one I just, you know, I, I'm, I almost get angry when people are calling or, or like almost hoping for it because it's like, do you understand, do you understand the ramifications of something like that happening? Like, it's not just me losing my, like losing what, what we're doing. Like I could lose it all right now. I really have anything anyway. So whatever, let me lose it all. Whatever. No matter me, I'm 21 years old. But what about the guy who's 65, who saved his whole life and then all of his retirement goes in half? 59. So, so 59. And, I, and I'm, I'm out here gauging the market right now because I'll take risks that you do. I, I GC my own jobs. I do a bunch of this, as, you know, for my wife and I for years now. But I'll go and take those risks. They're measured risks, but they're risks nonetheless. And I'm 59 years old trying to make sure I'm hanging on to what I can because I know retirement is just around the corner for me. I'll never truly retire. I'll always work because I like the things that I do. Right. But the financial impact, if we hit the skids hard for me, would mean that, hey, I'm going to have to work the next 25 years of my life into my 80s. We're see we saw a bunch of that. And uh, I, I grew up, you know, graduated high school in 81. That's a long time ago. Woo. But in 81, I from 79 to 81, I was driving around Houston. And that was when Texas oil busted, when the economy was bad. We had gas lines, literally could get gas only on the odd or even date on the last digit of your license plates. So, you know, it was rougher than I'd ever seen anything. Well, I've long since seen worse times in our country, but the point is that things were boarded up, the economy stalemated and just stopped. And everybody was trying to figure out how it's gonna get, how it's gonna get better. My dad had a machine shop, we lost everything, you know? So it, it's, it's the impact of a sustained, economy that's not doing well 
is terrible for everyone. Not just the, the bargain basement buyer, because if he buys it all at a bargain basement price, but there's no one to buy it from him, or let's say the economy goes so bad we're in Venezuela and nobody can afford to pay rent, well, you're broke too. You so you know, and, and if everything responds fine, you know, and, 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 and you know, recoups and comes back, that's all great. But if you're looking at that and to you know to to, to that point, celebrating the loss for everybody, you you know, it's not a win for you if it doesn't come back strong enough for people to buy rent or have a part of your, you know, your investment. And that's what I think they miss whenever they're trying to, you know, I can't wait for everything to crash. You don't need everything to crash. You might need some adjustment or some stabilization, but outside of that, we shouldn't be wishing for that. Right. And just be careful what you wish for, because, you know, it, it's just tough. I, I think I think people get a little bit too greedy, a little bit too self-centered and don't think about, you know, you know, they don't think about every everybody else. Obviously, I mean, there's a lot of that's that's a big problem in, in society nowadays in, in, in any any industry. Um, they're just too selfish, you know, too selfish. But, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um it's uh it you know and one thing that i've that i've been honing in on you know recently especially with some of the texts i got last night with some things that happened in a on a on a flip in san antonio um uh i follow ed Milet pretty pretty re religiously and i don't know if you've heard of him but um one of his big things right now is equanimity and it's being calm in the face of of like dire stress and and it, in circumstances you can't really control um and just being calm and focused in in that and i think that's that's what i've been telling my agents that's what i've been telling my my partners everybody who's been like calling for the world to end it's like hey come here focus in quit looking at everything around here Let's absolutely go, you know keep going show up every day show up every single day and and keep your head about you and and you'll you we're gonna make it through this i don't think that this is the end of our country or you and I would be having a different conversation, probably dressed a whole lot different than we really are. And the, the reality is it's not that, but it's maintaining that ability to focus and realize that, it, that it's not the end, um, but it's gonna be a, a change. It's the beginning of change, I'll, I, I will say that. And, we're, and we have to evolve as an industry, as a society, we're gonna have to continue to evolve and adjust. We can't just be parked back in you know, the 1980s or anything like that, but a lot of people, become emotional that's where whenever you've got someone you know honestly the first time first time we met and had coffee and watching some of your posts and stuff like that at 21 and, I, and, and this sounds so it sounds so crazy for a 59 year old guy to be saying this because i'm not i'm not saying it down speaking down to you at all your level of maturity and knowledge of what you're doing is beyond the most 21 year old people that i come in contact with that's that's that head that you need to have when all this is falling apart just business just facts, you know, I, I don't care about the emotion. I can separate the emotion and go to the, the task at hand. And that's a big deal. That's huge. Yep. And I think uh, it's kind of funny because my business partner, when he met me, um, I don't know if I had this beard, but uh, but I was still I was still pretty big and and uh, I always carried myself a little higher. And uh, he thought I was like 25 and I was 19. <laughs> I was 19. So. Yeah, it's funny. And I told him, like, yeah, I'm about to turn 20. He said, you're about to turn 20? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. But, yeah, it's – it, and now at this point, it, it doesn't even feel like – like, I, I, I am 21, but, like, it doesn't feel like that. Like, I feel like I'm – I have a much higher 
not not necessarily calling, but like I have much more responsibility now that like it doesn't really matter what my age is. This is what I got to get done, you know. So let me ask you a question now. So you've been doing this for a little while, and here you are, twenty one years old, and like I said, have an understanding completely different than most people. One of the things I tell people all the time, and I'll ask you the question before I say it: um, If you lost everything next week, do you have enough confidence in yourself to rebuild what you had? Yes, hundred percent. Okay, so that's the question that I ask everybody that's got their hair on fire. I'm like, slow down for a second. Let me ask you something. Have you learned anything up to to where you are right now? And if everything fell apart and you had nothing, you had to start all over again. Do you trust your work ethic and your knowledge and ability enough to 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 feel confident that you could rebuild what you had? I it took me a long time to understand that about myself. You know, when I was much younger. Went through a lot of hardships and had a lot of complications. But once I realized, I was like, oh, you know what? Even if I even if I have a misstep, I can replicate this. I I get I, I've got the hang of it now. So my fear of, of change is a lot different than other people's. I figure I can come through it. And um, the Marine Corps gave us a phrase that I've used my entire life since then: you, you adapt and overcome. You 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 know you're gonna have to adjust to the headwinds and the road ahead of you. But if you know that you can replicate the good things that you had and maybe learn from the mistakes and not repeat those, there's no reason to, to, to run around and be afraid right now. Be cautious and understand what's going on around you and, and be cognizant of your impact on the people in and around your life, but not, not, not fearful that you can't replicate it. Well, absolutely. I mean, you don't, don't make dumb decisions. Right. But, but I mean, I, I, I don't, and me, me, me and me and my business partner talked about this the other day. It's like, everybody's going crazy. Everybody's getting emotional. It's like, okay, well, let me think about the worst case scenario. I barely have anything right now. Like I have more than I did two <laughs> years ago. I have a, I have a duplex and I have I have some money in the bank and I have some good book of business and maybe some flips going, right? If I lost it all, my quality of life would probably not change, really, at the end of the day. I'd probably get to go live in a nicer apartment than I am now because I'm sacrificing, honestly. But my quality of life wouldn't change. Now I have all these skills, all this knowledge, all these contacts. And you made and money while you were getting that education. No, you weren't, you weren't paying to get it. You, you got paid to get that education. Right. All right. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I have, I have no fear that if, if, if the world went to crap tomorrow, I lost it all. I'd be fine. Like it would kind of suck. I might be depressed for a month, but like, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going. Like it just, it is what it is because I know what I got to do. Just execute, execute, execute to go get what I need to do. And I might, I might adjust path. I might, I might adjust my strategy a little bit, take a little bit less risk. But at this point I have the risk to take. I'm 21. You'll use that, but that adjustment you make will be on that base of knowledge that you gained along the way that we, you know, so one of the things when I first left, I was in federal service for a long time. Uh, I had 19 years and eight months of federal service between the Marine Corps and the Postal Service when I first got to Brazos County. And I walked out when the refi boom disappeared from 02 to 03. I started full time. I did this for seven years on the side as, an, as a postal employee working nights. But whenever I walked out, the whole market fell apart and nothing happened. It, it just stalemated. Well, to your point, I had. All I wanted to do was make as much money as, as I made at the post office and not have to work nights. Because for 21 years between the Postal Service and Marine Corps, I worked nights. So I was like, well, if I can make this much money and have my weekends and evenings off, it's a win. That's how simple I was. Because you said 
I go to the worst case scenario. I start most of my decisions. And I know, I know if you talk to, to motivational speakers and stuff like that, they, they teach you not to do that. But I start, what's the worst I can, that can happen? And I, and, I, and I measure between that and what I think the big success can be. As long as I'm happy with that, I'll take that risk every single time. You know, and then each time I make a mistake, and I've made a bunch at 59 years old, each time I make a mistake, my only goal in life is that point regarding those mistakes is not to repeat them. You know, then there were learning experiences, not truly mistakes. I think that that's where people get wrapped up today. They don't want, they think that everything should be perfect and we should all have money in the bank and everything else. When you've been poor or you have nothing or, or you like, like you said, if you lost everything, you'd be losing some, but you wouldn't be losing everything. And at 21 years old, it's not the end of the world. I think that that's the, you know, what we should be teaching people. You know, you should be sharing that story with each one of your clients when you get an opportunity. You don't overly share because no one likes that. But hey, if, if they're afraid and you're talking them down, showing them who you were and, and giving them a little piece of that, you know, how you got to where you are, that helps calm them because now they saw what they deem as a normal person, somebody just like them being capable of, of suffering those, you know, those downturns and still, and still moving forward. That's what you're sharing is that knowledge and, and that, that thirst for wanting to do better. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that keeps me going is in kind of in the back of my mind, I know that I'm not going to let that happen to me either way, but, but if it did, I'm just going to be going right back to where everybody else is already. Like everybody else is already broke. I've got nothing anyway. So what does it matter? You know? So <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to go down and bounce right back up. So what took me two well, years, it'll take me six months, maybe. Well, that's it. Cause you, you, you can do it faster now, but the one thing, the one thing, um, the one thing I want to leave out here for sure on this call is one of my biggest philosophies. You know, one, if you owe, but if you, if you owe a debt, pay the bill, then have the fight. Because if you don't and they put it on your credit, you, you're, you're going to suffer no matter what. Yep. You know, so I tell people all the time, if you can, when, if the market got hard and things really changed in your life, you personally, you came to me and be like, how much equity is in your duplex? Turn that thing out, get out from underneath that debt, take whatever equity you have, use it to, maintain your credit, live to fight another day. The moment things turn and you get a, a different opportunity, you're poised to go forward. If you sit on an opportunity or you hold on to something because you were emotional until it becomes a fire sale, your credit's in the tank and you've lost everything. Well, now you're starting way further back than you had to, where if you make those hard decisions and you kind of separate that emotion, I know it's complicated for some people, then you know sit with someone that, that's less emotional and, and get a different opinion but if you're making those decisions before the world's on fire even if it's painful or complicated you'll do better coming out of the gate when everything begins to, re to, to rebound yep absolutely 100 percent. Yep, i think we just hit an hour so I'm, I'm good when you are absolutely uh, you, you disappeared a little bit so yeah i'm trying to figure out my my phone Flipped out. I'm trying to pull you. There, there we go. You're there. Um, I like so, your flag back there. It's good. I got a, I got a little fake one back there with an eagle on it. Oh, look. So that's a 48-star flag that actually flew during World War II. Okay. And then I have my other favorite flag over here. <laughs> there you go. There you so go. Uh, like my space, uh, like like my country, and, and you know, and most people don't want to believe that Texas is a country, but it's a country for all of us. And, yeah, that's uh, right. And, and so, uh, you know, I really am glad you took time to to have me on and, and share some knowledge with me. I appreciate it. 
Absolutely. And we, we appreciate you having on. Have, we appreciate having you on. Sorry. And uh, I, I guarantee you a lot of people are going to get some some good knowledge and info out of this and hopefully just kind of soothe their nerves a little bit and, and not be super over emotional about it and, and get caught up in the headlines and, and all the crap that comes with that. So I appreciate you coming on. Outstanding. Well, you have a great day, man. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Take care. Uh, bye. Bye. I appreciate you guys getting on here and uh, listening to us. I really do appreciate it. Um, Dell was a great, great speaker. And, uh, you know, I think if you got anything out of that, please share it. Please let me know how, what you thought. I think that was a really good way to end it. And uh, don't get super emotional. Keep your focus and uh, don't go crazy with everything that's happening. You know, it, it, what they want you to do is go crazy and have, have uh, quick reactions to it. But if you can just stay focused and not look at all the shiny objects around you, uh, you can get stuff done. And, you know, if you're young, you don't have much to lose. Take those calculated risks. Take those calculated decisions and go execute it. Just get it done. I appreciate you guys. See you next time. Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah. Getting it every day. I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yeah. I'm getting it every day. These niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not new.